Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. We are wrapping up our series on Watch Your Mouth. And the last time we were together, uh, I had spent, well, I ended actually, spending time talking to our kingdom warriors, many of whom are husbands. And we talked quite a bit about uh, how the husbands should actually treat their wives. Um, and what I want you to do, I'm not going to go over all that again because we left off where we'll be getting ready to talk about the wives. <laughs> so we're going to do that. But turn with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 27. And I'm going to share it out of the message. Actually, the message is 25 through 28. So that's Ephesians 5. Verses 25 through 28. It does not matter which translation you have. I promise we're going to end up in the same place. And for those of you who know me, you know I'm the translation person. So I'm going to give you the ones that I feel are going to bring the point home the best. So if we look at this out of the message, it says, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. And we talked before uh, sharing how your wife is actually one with you, which means if you love yourself, then you ought to love her. And it will obviously be clear if, <laughs> if you do or not. The other thing that I want to share with you, which I didn't do last time, is turn with me to 1 Peter. And we're going to look at the third chapter in 1 Peter. So it's 1 Peter 3, and we're going to look at verse 7. Because this is something that I want husbands to consider too that we really didn't talk about last time. And I'm gonna share it first out of the New King James Version. Are you there? Yes? Okay, great. It says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. If we look at it in the Amplified, which as you hear me say all the time, it has the qualifiers, it says, in the same way, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, here's the qualifier, with a great gentleness and tact and with an intelligent regard for the marriage relationship. As with someone physically weaker, since she is a woman, Show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. The message puts it this way. The same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them. Delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, your equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. The key here is that, men, you want to make sure that you are treating and respecting your wives, but keeping in mind that just because we are to be submissive to you, we are equal heirs. So it's not like God loves us too or he saved us too, or we have the advantages of the kingdom too, as an afterthought. We're equal in that way. And you know something? Just like Dr. Betty said on last week, if you were here, when you treat your wives the way you should, she has absolutely no challenge with being submissive because you are treating her as you should. And the thing that gets to me is, you know, and I see this out of many 
I call them kingdom warriors here, but many Christian men, they are married, they love their wives, so they say, yet and still, if she goes to the market and she's bringing home groceries, they'll sit there and watch her carry all these heavy bags and they're just sitting there, okay? They sit there and don't even think about opening a door for her. I mean, I don't even understand that. My sons, when they started being between three and four years old, way before kindergarten, my husband taught them, you open the door for your mom. You open the door for your sisters. I mean, I know I am extremely blessed, but I have to say, I guess for me, you know, and I don't think I take it for granted because I always say thank you, but even if I am, you know, trying to hurry up and get ready and my husband is outside, he stands outside and waits for me to open the door so that I can get in the car. He doesn't get in the car and then, you know, I'm just supposed to fend for myself and open the door and all. That's not how I'm treated. That's not how my daughters are treated. Yet and still, I know that many men, maybe they haven't been instructed, maybe they haven't been taught. So word to the wise, you're now getting the instruction. That's how you show your love. You don't just say, I love you, I love you, and that's it. That's not enough, okay? It's how you treat your wife throughout the day and everything else. And I'm telling you, if you do that, it'll pay off, I promise you. So you're supposed to treat her with honor, honor and respect. Now here's the thing I also don't understand. Back to the market scenario. If you go to the market yourself, anybody, male or female, but especially men, that's who I'm talking to, you go to the market and you buy a dozen eggs. You don't put the eggs in the bag and then take all your canned goods and heavy bags of potatoes and throw on top of the eggs because why? The eggs are more fragile. Wouldn't you agree with that? So then why then would you not treat your wife with as much honor and respect as you do a dozen eggs? Hopefully that'll make you think about that the next time you go to the store. And the other thing is when, you're, when people see your wife that speaks volumes about how much you love her. The other thing that I've never understood is you will see husbands come out and they are dressed like they are coming off the, the cover of GQ. Everything just looks great. And then you see their wife and you're like, oh my goodness, because she just looks frumpy. And I'm not saying that as a judgment call. She just looks frumpy. Now, I understand because I have looked frumpy at once upon a time. But I gotta tell you something. When I looked frumpy, my husband looked frumpy. We looked frumpy together, okay? But the point of the matter is that's how it should be. So I don't have anything against frumpy because I've been there, done that, understand it. But what I'm saying is it shouldn't be that he looks wonderful and you don't. It should be where he is treating you with the same love and respect that he treats himself. So men, that's something that I want you to just kind of keep in the back of your mind. And hopefully, you'll glean something from that. Amen? Amen. Now, ladies, because now we're getting into the things we're supposed to do. We know that we're daughters of the king. We know that. And if you're blessed to have a husband, there's some responsibilities that go along with that. Now, there, this also applies for young ladies, or not so young ladies, who are believing for a husband. You can still glean the same things from the things I'm about to share. What I want you to do now is look at 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter 3. We were there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. We're going to back up and look at verses 1 through 6 of 1 Peter 3. And I'm going to share this with you first out of the message, because I really want you to see it clearly. It says, the same goes for you wives. Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. There are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any words about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. 
The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham, would address him as my dear husband. You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanxious and unintimidated. If we look at it in the easy to read, it says, in the same way, you wives should be willing to serve your husbands. Then even those who have refused to accept God's teaching will be persuaded to believe because of the way you live. You will not need to say anything. Your husbands will see the pure lives that you live with respect for God. It is not fancy hair, gold jewelry, or fine clothes that should make you beautiful. In other words, you don't have to go out and try to find the longest weave in America, okay, and spend your last money on that. And you know, I mean, I have nothing against weaves if that's what people want to do, but don't you think that God knew what you should look like when he created you? Everybody doesn't look good with hair hanging down their back. Some of you, I hate to tell you, you get all these weaves and it makes you look older. Some of you should stay with a nice short haircut. Looks better and maybe God knew that, which is why he didn't give you that long hair hanging down your back. I mean, come on, we just, we gotta go get blue eyes, green eyes. If he, if he created you with brown eyes, then I think he must have known brown looks awfully good on you. We gotta get past all of this stuff. Anyway, back to this, <laughs> verse four. No, your beauty should come from inside you, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That beauty will never disappear. It is worth very much to God. It was the same with the holy women who lived long ago and followed God. They made themselves beautiful in that same way. They were willing to serve their husbands. I am talking about women like Sarah. She obeyed Abraham, her husband, and called him her master. And you women are true children of Sarah if you will always do what is right and are not afraid. Lastly, I'm going to read this out of the Amplifier because it gives us all of the qualifiers. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Here's the qualifier. Subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to husbands and their accountability to God. And so partnering, partnering with them. That's a big qualifier, okay? So that even if some do not obey the word of God, they may be won over to Christ without discussion by the godly lives of their wives. When they see your modest and respectful behavior, here's the qualifier, together with your devotion and appreciation, love your husband, encourage him, and enjoy him as a blessing from God. Your adornment must not be merely external, with the interweaving and elaborate knotting of the hair, and well, that tells you about a weave right there, and wearing gold jewelry, or qualifier, being superficially preoccupied with dressing in expensive clothes. But let it be, qualifier, the inner beauty of the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality and unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit, one that is calm and self-controlled, not over-anxious, but serene and spiritually mature, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women who hoped, holy women who hoped in God, used to endure themselves being submissive to their own husbands and adapting themselves to them. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, following him and having regard for him as head of their house, calling him Lord. Now, I know a lot of the men would love if we did that, okay? <laughs> and you have become her daughters if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear, that is, being respectful towards your husband, but not giving in to intimidation, nor allowing yourself to be led into sin, nor to be harmed. Amen. So, ladies, we are to be helpmates to our husband. Help mate, think about that. 
They are responsible is true, but we do live in a time where a lot of times we have to work outside of the home. It used to be years ago, you know, where the ladies were homemakers, and trust me, that is hard work. I mean, sometimes you can get a break when you go to work. It's easier than trying to keep your home and your children and all that, I know that. Okay, but we're still supposed to help them, and that is how we're supposed to look at it. We're on the same team, not one pulling one way and one pulling the other way. We're supposed to be doing it together because remember, we are what? We're one. The other thing that we have to remember is we have to build him up. We have to encourage him so that he can reach his potential. And that's something sometimes that ladies, eh, we don't always see it as such. We can certainly see all the things that we feel they're not doing right. You know, like, you're really sloppy. How come you can't pick up your clothes? You know, the rent is due, and yes, okay, maybe you need to go get a second job because I'm working and you're working, but this still is not a lot of money. Now, let's just think about it. I know that this sounds like, oh, nobody says that. I know people say that. But here is the thing. Do you really think he wants to hear that? Do you really think that's encouraging him? He's already having a challenging time, just like you're having a challenging time. It's not easy all the time. So he doesn't need to hear that kind of stuff from you. Remind him, and this is where it's something that's very important for us to do. We have to remind our husbands that they are called by God for a specific purpose. Because sometimes in their daily grind of trying to be responsible and take care of the household and take care of the kids and take care of us and do all that they have to do, they lose sight of that. They don't have time necessarily to sit and dream. They forget about it. They forget that God has called them for something. And that's your job. That's something that we're supposed to do. And we are supposed to pray for him. Really pray for him intercede for him. You see, when you do that, you're making his way easier, more prosperous. So who's going to benefit? You're going to benefit from that too. So you need to spend some time and pray for him. Now, of course, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to fix yourself up. So don't misunderstand me. If you feel like the weave thing is going to work for you, then go ahead. Because he doesn't want to come home looking at Scarecrow either. Okay? So you do need to kind of fix yourself up. You know, take care of the subtle things. You don't always have to do a whole lot. But, you know, make sure you, there's some things, you know, we get caught up. We're so busy. We forget that it's wonderful, you know, to, you may not be able to go get a pedicure, but you can go ahead and give yourself one. They have nail polish at the dollar store. Okay? They have lotion. Put a little fragrance on, you know, all of those things. You don't think it means anything, but it means something. It's nice if he gets in the bed at night and you smell good. See, because we forget. He may be working in an office. He may be working anywhere, but there are other women that are around him that he gets to see all the time. And men are visual, okay? So if you're a person, it might be your day off, or maybe you are a homemaker. You don't want your husband coming home, and there you're sitting, your hair is still in rollers or whatever. It's wrapped up however you need to do it, because we need to do what we need to do. But you got your bedroom slippers on, and they might be these slippers where the feet are out with no pedicure, and you didn't put low, I mean, just a mess. And then he just passed by all of these beautiful people or he worked with all of these beautiful women and then we wonder how come he's not all happy and glorious to see us. There are some things we need to attend to because sometimes you just get comfortable. Don't ever get so comfortable that you don't do the little that you can do. Doesn't cost a lot, okay? I mean, come on. You, oh. Down south, they tell you to go get some Crisco. Put that on your legs if you have to. The point being is, you can do what you need to do, okay? So, I, I mean, come on. There are just some things that we, we can do. Be more concerned with your inner self and with your spiritual growth. I don't think ladies realize sometimes that we are greatly responsible for the anointing in our home. If you walk into somebody's house and it's just all, you know, it's just uncomfortable. You just can't figure out what it is. It's just like, mm, you just don't kind of really want to be there. That's because there's something that we all have stories to tell is true. Something's not right. But if you are really 
trying to build yourself up spiritually and you are praying and you're doing the things and seeking God's face, not just for all that he can give you, but just because you want to fellowship with him, there's an anointing that goes with that. And it's in your household. When people come to your house, they really shouldn't want to go. I mean, we have to let them go, but you know, they should want to be there. They should want to know there's something different about this place. That's if you're really doing what it is that you're supposed to do. And don't ever talk bad or negative about your husband because the same way they're not supposed to do that about us, when you're talking bad about him, you're talking about yourself. Because here's the thing, ladies, we are the ones who really chose. He may have gotten down on his knee and proposed, okay, but we didn't have to say yes. So the point is we made the choice when we said yes. Now, hopefully this wasn't a shotgun situation and nobody held a gun to your head. So the point being is if you made that choice and the two of you become one, don't you dare speak negative about him because it's turning right back onto you. Be still. This is something, well, even before I get to that, you always have to remember, and sometimes you have to remind your own self that your husband is your best friend. Amen. You may have other little girlfriends and people that you talk to, which I don't advise that you do a lot of that, but you know, girlfriends are important. That's why we have Daughters of the King. But I'm not suggesting you're the one to pick up the phone and you're always talking to your girlfriend every day. That's, that's not necessarily a good thing, okay? But the point is, your husband has to be your best friend because the two of you are one. You are not one with anybody else on the planet like that. Even your children who you love and you appreciate and you nurture and, and all the rest of that, your husband, the two of you are like this. That's got to be your best friend. So if you're in the middle of intense fellowship, which comes sometimes, I mean, none of us are perfect, okay? We, so here's the point. You might be in the middle of intense fellowship and you may not understand his point of view at all. You may think he's downright losing it. Don't take that stance and don't you dare say that to him or about him. Instead, look at it like, that's my best friend. And you know what you do? You go to the throne room and you go to the one who created your best friend because he knows exactly his design. You go to him, you pray for him, and pray for yourself because you know what? You could be missing something. It's not that we are perfect, and sometimes we miss what we're supposed to see. But if we do that, God will honor our heart, he will show us what we need to do, and we can get right back on that same page. But you always have to remember, that is your best friend. You're on the same team. So you've gotta pull through, even intense fellowship, you've gotta do it together. The other thing is, and this is what ladies especially, because we're wired differently, we already know that, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. I love being a lady. There's nothing wrong with it. I think it is great. But we do have to learn the language of silence because we have a tendency to talk I don't know how many more times than they do. Like say if they say 10,000 words a day, we're saying like 30,000, okay? So the point is, Sometimes we just have to be still. And especially if it is something where it's intense fellowship. You don't have to keep going on and on and on and on to get your point across. Be quiet. Go into that throne room. Allow God to give you wisdom on the situation. And God will also give you the appropriate time to be able to come back and share what it is that you have to share. I promise you, if you go ahead and do what I just suggested to you, you'll come out on top every time. Whereas the other way where you just run in your mouth, the intense fellowship just goes on and on and it's just not a good look. So it is better to sometimes just be still and know that God still sits on that throne and he will go ahead and he will either write you if you're wrong or he'll intercede for you and he will, your husband may come back to you and say, you know what, honey, you were right about me and you didn't even have to say anything. That's if you are allowing God to handle it opposed to you. So we just have to kind of be still. Also remember that yes, the husband is the head of the house. I mean, you know, we might not necessarily always like that, but here's the cool thing about that. And this is the part that doesn't bother me about it. He's the head of the house. And this happened back, you know, and if you come to Thursday night, we spent some time on it. I can't spend time on it here. But all of this happened because of Adam's high treason and Eve being the 
darling person that she was that gave the fruit, okay, over to Adam to eat. And that's when all of a sudden God had to put in place that now Adam is the head and, you know, Eve is like second fiddle, so to speak. But he also made it clear that when he did that, that Adam became responsible for Eve. So the point being is that's why we are the help meet. That's why we're not out there having the head, the responsibility of the headship. You see, the head of the house gets to wear the crown. But let me tell you something, heavy is the head that has to wear the crown. There's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. So don't feel bad about it that you know he's the head. Because the other thing is, and this is true, and people jest about this, but it's very true, and I'm gonna show you an example in a minute of exactly how it happens, that women are the neck, men are the head, the neck is the one that controls how the head turns. So don't feel bad, ladies, about being second fiddle. I, I actually, it, it can be a wonderful thing. The other thing is we have to keep our manner or the way in which we carry ourselves chaste, okay? We don't need to be looking like the people that are the housewives or whoever those people are. You know, they have housewife shows for everything. That's not who we're supposed to look like. We are not supposed to be adorning ourselves with all this stuff to try to see if we can have our cleavage coming down our belly button. And I mean, come on. We don't, we're not supposed to look like the world. We are supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. And we are supposed to have a quiet spirit, a gentleness, a lovingness that's behind us. No man, whether he's your husband or not, wants a mouthy woman who's going around running her mouth, thinking that she knows everything, dressing like a floozy with, you know, they, you know, they may not say anything to you, but I'm telling you right now, that's not what they're looking for. That, they found that out in the street before they were saved and they can find it out in the street any day of the week. That's not the girl that they bring home to meet mom. That's not the girl that they ultimately get down on their knee and ask to be their wife. So remember that. Don't ever get so caught up with what you see in all these magazines and on TV. Remember whose you are and conduct yourself in that way. It always is the best. And you may have a husband who is unsaved because maybe you came into the knowledge of the word after you got married, okay? Or maybe you just wanted to be married so bad that you went ahead and married somebody and you're unequally yoked. Either way, you're married and your husband may be unsaved. You do not get him to want to know about the gospel and come to church and worship the Lord through running your mouth. You get it by him seeing the glory of God in your life and how you conduct yourself. You may even have a husband who is born again, but isn't following the word. And that sometimes for us can be even more frustrating. It's just like, all right, you already are born again. Why aren't you wanting to go to church? Why don't you want to? Uh-uh, don't say that. What you do is you get up, you take care of what you're supposed to do, take care of the kids, and you and the children you go to church. But don't make him feel bad if he wants to stay home and look at football or whatever he wants to do. Get up early. Cook your dinner early before you go out to church. So don't ever let your good be evil spoken of. Make sure you are taking care of him and you go ahead and continue to serve the Lord. God will honor that in your life. And you know what? You'll see where after a while he's like, well, she keeps going to church. Where is, what's going on in this church? Why does she keep going? And she's bringing the kids and she's getting up early to cook and she's still going. And you'll see that he meanders right on along with you. And so many people can tell a story just like that. That's how it all began, where their husbands and wives are serving in church together as it should be. Let your words to your husband be a gift. When you speak, it should be a gift, not a honey-do list of all the stuff you want him to do and all the stuff he's got to pay for and how come this and how come that. I mean, really? No. Your word should be a gift. He should want to hear what it is that you have to say. Because remember, there, our husbands are getting knocked down almost every single day when they are out there working. And a lot of times their dreams are literally being crushed on a daily basis, which is why we have to build them up. I would like us to look at ourselves 
as an oasis. You know, like when somebody's out in the desert and they get so excited when they see an oasis. Well, for our husbands, ladies, we should be an oasis of hope, of joy, of faith, of peace. They should want to spend time with us, just like a person on the desert wants a cup of water. That's what we should be for them. They really, when you think about it, are giant little boys. Now, not, they may not like me saying it this way, but they really are giant little boys. However, they have the responsibilities of being men, and that is not easy. It is hard for them sometimes to be able to share some of their concerns, some of the things that keep them really exercising their faith in just trying to provide for us. But what's wonderful is when they are so comfortable in your presence that they can share that with you. That's the type of intimacy that's priceless. And that's something that you can achieve. But it all happens with, first of all, you definitely watching your mouth, but seeing how you are that oasis for them. Now, you're going to have to, a lot of times, ladies, use temperance and long-suffering. Because, again, like I said, men are wired different than, they, than we are. And there are actually studies that are out, so this is not just my opinion, where men only comprehend 50% of what they hear from us. But here's why. This goes back to, not that there's something wrong with them and they're dumb or anything, but here's the thing. Remember how I said, if they speak 10,000 words, we speak 30,000? So what it is, is they just really kind of turn in a little bit of a deaf ear. Like, just get to the point. And we may be saying something that is the point, but they're not, they're tuning that out. So it's only about 50%. So if we're saying, 30,000 words, they're only getting 15,000. Now, in that other 15,000, it might have been something very valuable, but it went whoop, right over their head because they're really not listening. So we have to understand that. Don't get upset. Just realize that's who they are, just like Stan has to realize that I cry at Folgers commercials on TV, okay? It's not something that many people do, but yes, I cry at the least little thing. It's how I'm wired. It's who I am. We have to learn to truly love our husbands. Don't just look at them as a provider. Learn to respect and adore them. Because if you do that, if you truly do that, I promise you it'll be well worth it. Now we spent several weeks studying the importance of watching our mouths. Make sure that you watch your mouth regarding your own assessment. See, this is another critical thing, and this is for both male and female. Only speak what lines up with the word when it comes to your life, not what other people have spoken about you. Do not allow anyone to speak words that make you feel inferior or unintelligent or unaccomplished. You know, like, oh, you live there? Oh, that's all you have? Okay, are they paying your bills? Are they providing for you? Then they don't have any right to say that. And for our men especially, sometimes you might have gone to school and maybe you weren't, you know, like uh, the A-plus student of the class. And sometimes teachers may have talked about that and may have said something like, well, you know, you're never really going to be all that smart. Don't go get a job that deals with math because that's just not something you could do. You may have had things like that spoken over you. Guess what? You've been redeemed from all of that. You are a son of the Most High God, and you can be led by him who created all that there is, including everything that you can imagine. So therefore, you just keep your focus on what the word says about you. And ladies, it's the same thing. We are bombarded on a daily basis with we're either too fat or we're too skinny or we don't have enough hair. Here go the weaves. Okay. Or we should wear makeup makeup or we don't have on enough or we put too much on. I mean, constantly, you know, in this season, the color is this. The next season, the color is that. I mean, they could send us back and forth, you know, where we have no thoughts. Stop all of that. Realize whose you are and make sure that you plug into that. Also realize that social media, I know it's the new thing that's out, but it is only a tool. That's it. It does not define who you are what you have or what you will become. Your belief system, your faith in God, not man, affects your words and you know what? That designs your life. 
That's really, really something to think about. So based on this, we need to make sure that we're nurturing our relationship with our joint heirs, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and the Most High God. Now, this is an ongoing process. It's not just, you know, something that just happens. It's not like you just accept Jesus and that's it. You have to nurture your relationship just and value it just like you would with anyone else. Okay? So let's learn from King Solomon. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles, and we're going to look at the 28th chapter, verse 9. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. Let me know when you're there, because I want you to see this. Say amen. amen. Okay, great. Now, I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified first, and it says, As for you, Solomon, my son, Know the God of your father. Have personal knowledge of him. Be acquainted with and understand him. Appreciate heed and cherish him. And serve him with a blameless heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and minds and understands every intent and inclination of the thoughts. If you seek him, inquiring for and of him and requiring him as your first and vital necessity, he will let you find him. But if you abandon, turn away from him, he will reject you forever. And the message says, and you, Solomon, my son, get to know well your father's God. Serve him with a whole heart and eager mind. For God examines every heart and sees through every motive. If you seek him, he'll make sure you find him. But if you abandon him, he'll leave you for good. Look sharp now. God has chosen you to build his holy house. Be brave, determined, and do it. Now, God promised to establish Solomon's kingdom forever. That was the whole point. However, let's turn to 1 Kings. Turn with me to 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, and we're going to see what Solomon did so that we can learn not to do it. Because we know that Solomon was David's son. He was a king. He was known for wisdom. But that doesn't always mean you get everything right. So 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it out of the Amplified first, and it says, Now King Solomon defiantly loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian and Hittite women. That's a lot of women, okay? From the very nations of whom the Lord said to the Israelites, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. For the result will be that they will turn away your hearts to follow their gods. Yet Solomon clung to these in love. Now check out Solomon. He had 700 wives. So men, you think it's hard dealing with one, okay? He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. I mean, think about that. Those are the chicks on the side. He had 300 of them. And his wives turned his heart away from God. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not completely devoted to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Now, if we look at it in the message, it says, King Solomon was obsessed with women. I could agree with that, okay? <laughs> Pharaoh's daughter was only the first of the many foreign women he loved, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite. He took them from the surrounding pagan nations of which God had clearly warned Israel, you must not marry them. They'll seduce you into infatuations with their gods. So, now see, I'm going to pause here. We sit there and we look at it like, oh, that can't happen to us. Oh, yes, it can, men. You think it can't happen to you, yet and still you are seduced with, I can't spend time 
reading the word. I can't spend time talking to my wife because I got to see what's happening on whatever sports channel there is. Or I have to make sure that I go hang out with the guys on Friday night because, you know, that's our time of fellowship. All of those are other gods that are seducing you from being the man of God that he called you and intended you to be. So Solomon fell in love with them anyway, refusing to give them up. He had 700 royal wives and 300 concubines, a thousand women in all. And they did seduce him away from God. As Solomon grew older, his wives beguiled him and their alien, with their alien gods, and he became unfaithful. He didn't stay true to his God as his father David had done. Solomon stopped keeping focused on God. And here's the thing. It changed his life completely. You're already in chapter 11. Now I want you to drop down to verses 9 through, we're going to look at 9 through 11. So the Lord became angry with Solomon. This is the amplified version. Because his heart was turned away from the Lord. The God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not follow other gods. But he did not observe, remember, obey what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. We look at it in the message, it says, God was furious with Solomon for abandoning the God of Israel, the God who had twice appeared to him and had so clearly commanded him not to fool around with other gods. Solomon faithlessly disobeyed God's orders. God said to Solomon, since this is the way it is with you, that you have no intention of keeping faith with me and doing what I have commanded, I'm going to rip the kingdom from you and hand it over to someone else. And then the, the message, because I'm going to go down to verse 13. But out of respect for your father, David, I won't do it in your lifetime. It's your son who will pay. I'll rip it right out of his grasp. Even then, I won't take it all. I'll leave him one tribe in honor of my servant, David, and out of respect for my chosen city, Jerusalem. This shows you how much God honors what it is that we do with our lives when our heart is right for him. We definitely don't want to do what Solomon did. <laughs> it's important that we learn from him experientially so that we aren't making some of the same mistakes. Now, you may ask, why did I use Solomon as an example, as well as, you know, We've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament with a lot of the scriptures that I've given you out of Psalms and out of Proverbs. Let me explain it. It is true that the New Testament supersedes the Old Testament. We can all agree with that, right? But that does not mean that we cannot learn a wealth of information from it. Our children are the next generation. And let's face it, they're smart, and they have better things available to them, and they have a lot more to offer. Our generation didn't have computers, and not just computers, they didn't have computers walking around in their hand called a smartphone. I mean, literally, you can do everything on a smartphone at this point in time from any provider, doesn't matter, just get a hold of a smartphone. We didn't have endless stock, I, I mean, I sit, and I look in my daughter's room, and you think you're in the middle of a shoe store because she does take care of her things, praise God. So she has them in boxes. But I mean, I remember growing up, and well, back to her. You go in her room, and she's got rows and rows and rows of sneakers. Now, I'm not even talk we're not talking about the shoes and the heels that she has for special occasions. But you know, she's got Jordans lined up like it's the thing to do. And everybody else, all kinds of stuff she's got in there. Well, she's not the only child. There are a bunch of children who do the same thing. 
when we were coming up, we didn't even have those choices. I mean, I remember I was so excited because you go and you get, you know, a pair of dress shoes, a pair of school shoes, and a pair of sneakers. If you were a guy, you usually got Converse, you know, and if you were in a basketball, you got the high tops. They didn't do anything, but at least they look good. Okay, and if you were a girl, you probably were excited if you could get Keds, and they came in white, and like you were really racy if you got this ugly looking robin egg blue. But the point was, we didn't have all this stuff. I mean, that was it. That's what you got, and you were happy, and you praised God with it. Well, now, They've got all of this. And on top of having all of this, you've got all the basketball players coming out with their designs. You have designers coming out with their version of things. So they have all of this stuff. We had no cell phone. We didn't have all the shoes. We had no social media. We actually wrote letters. We wrote thank you notes. We called people on the phone. That was racy to do that, okay? We knew how to speak properly on the phone when we called. We also didn't have Google. Can you imagine what this generation would do if they didn't have Google? <laughs> However, we have something that tops all of that because we have wisdom Amen. from living that none of the aforementioned things can replace. We actually have the wisdom needed to know how to ask Google the right question. Because if you don't know how to ask Google something, you're still just as lost as if you didn't have it at all. But you see, we have that wisdom. Each generation offers great wisdom to the next. It's the cycle of life as God intended. The Old Testament offers great wisdom to be added to the New Testament. Let's look at Romans, the 12th chapter, and we're going to look at verse 2, and I'm going to share it with you out of the message, because I know you're very familiar with this verse of scripture. Romans 12, chapter, I mean, chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the message, it says this. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Do we do that? I mean, are we really getting up in the morning and giving ourselves to God as an offering? I don't think so. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We have choices to make every day that we live. <laughs> they include nurturing our relationship with the Godhead, developing and increasing our faith, and watching our mouths. To share a great contrast, turn with me to Proverbs, the 18th chapter. And I'm going to share it with you first out of the Amplified because I want you to see all the different qualifiers. And then I'm going to share it with you out of the message which gets right to the point. <clears throat> so Proverbs 18 out of the Amplified says this. And if you don't have an Amplified version, you can follow along with what you have, but jot down Amplified version, message version, and when you get the chance, when you're at home, listen to me now, but when you get a chance, go ahead and read it. Or purchase the CD so that you can hear it again, because these two translations say it the best. So the Amplified says it this way. He who willingly separates himself from, oh, I'm, no, it's not a verse. <laughs> it's Proverbs 18. It's just Proverbs 18. We're going to read the whole chapter. So he who willingly separates himself from God and man seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A close-minded fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his personal opinions, unwittingly displaying his self-indulgence and his stupidity. I bet you we know people like that. When the wicked man comes to the depth of evil, contempt of all that is pure and good also comes. And with inner baseness, dishonor comes outer shame, scorn. 
The words of a man's mouth are like deep waters, copious and difficult to fathom. The fountain of mature, godly wisdom is like a bubbling stream, sparkling, fresh, pure, and life-giving. To show respect to the wicked person is not good, nor to push aside and deprive the righteous of justice. A fool's lips bring contention and strife, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a whisperer, gossip, are like dainty morsels to be greedily eaten. They go down into the innermost chambers of the body to be remembered and mused upon. He who is careless in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and is safe and set on high, far above evil. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and a high wall of protection in his own imagination and conceit. See, to me that is so important because people think that, okay, I'm in the 1% of our country and I may have millions and billions of dollars, so they honestly believe that that is their protection, that they are totally taken care of. <clears throat> that is their imagination and conceit because let them all of a sudden come down with stage four cancer. What is all that money gonna do for them? Absolutely nothing. Back to the word. So before disaster, the heart of a man is haughty and filled with self-importance, but humility comes before honor. He who, he who answers before he hears the facts, is, it is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man sustains him in sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? The mind of the prudent always acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise always seeks knowledge. A man's gift given in love or courtesy, makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first one to plead his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. The cast lots puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offended is harder to win over than a fortified city. And contentions separating families are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach will be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. He will be satisfied with the consequence of his words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequence of their words. He who finds a true and faithful wife finds a good thing and obtains favor and approval from the Lord. The poor man pleads, but the rich man answers roughly. The man of too many friends, chosen indiscriminately, will be broken in pieces and come to ruin. But there is a true, loving friend who is reliable and sticks closer than a brother. So we're going to look at it in the message, and it says, Loners who care only for themselves spit on the common good. Fools care nothing for thoughtful discourse. All they do is run off at the mouth. When wickedness arrives, shame's not far behind. Contempt for life is contemptible. Many words rush along like rivers and floods, but deep wisdom flows up from artesian springs. It's not easy, it's not right rather, to go easy on the guilty or come down hard on the innocent. The words of a fool start fights. Do him a favor and gag him. Fools are undone by their big mouths. Their souls are crushed by their words. Listening to gossip is like eating cheap candy. Oh, I need the thought of that because I'm thinking of that dollar store chocolate opposed to Belgian chocolate. <laughs> things I think of. But anyway, listening to gossip is like eating cheap candy. Do you really want junk like that in your belly? No. Slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. God's name is a place of protection. Good people can run there and be safe. The rich think their wealth protects them. They imagine themselves safe behind it. Pride first, then the crash. But humility is a precursor to honor. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. A healthy spirit conquers adversity, but what can you do when the spirit is crushed? Wise men and women are always learning, always listening for fresh insights. 
A gift gets attention. It buys the attention of eminent people. The first speech in a court case is always convincing until the cross-examination starts. You may have to draw straws when faced with a tough decision. Do a favor and win a friend forever. Nothing can untie that bond. Words satisfy the mind as much as fruit does the stomach. Good talk is as gratifying as a good harvest. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Find a good spouse and you find a good life and even more the favor of God. The poor speak in soft supplications. The rich bark out answers. Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. I really, really like that. Keeping what we just read in mind, let's look really quickly at 1 Peter 3. We're there before, but we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. And I'm going to share it out of the Amplified first. Finally, all of you like-minded, untied in spirit, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous and compassionate toward each other as members of one household and humble in spirit, and never return evil for evil or insult for insult. Avoid scolding, berating, and any kind of abuse. But on the contrary, give a blessing. Pray for one another's well-being, contentment, and protection. For you have been called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing from God that brings well-being, happiness, and protection. For the one who wants to enjoy life and see good days, good whether apparent or not, must keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from speaking guile, treachery, deceit. He must train away from wickedness and do what is right. He must search for peace with God, with self, with others, and pursue it eagerly, actively, not merely desiring it. For the eyes of the Lord are looking favorably upon the righteous, the upright, and his ears are attentive to their prayers, eager to answer. But the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. And if we look at it in the message, it says, summing up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions, no retaliation, no sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing and also get a blessing. Whoever wants to embrace life and see the day fill up with good, here's what you do. Say nothing evil or hurtful. Snub evil and cultivate good. Run after peace for all you're worth. God looks on all this with approval. Listening and responding well to what he's asked, but, he's turned, but he turns his back on those who do evil things. Lastly, we're going to read Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 24 through 29. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. I'm going to share with you the Amplified first. And this is Jesus speaking in these scriptures, okay? And it says, starting with verse 24, For everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man, a far-sighted, practical, and sensible man who built his house on the rock. Now, for those of you taking notes, House actually means life. So you could say it this way. Um, practical and sensible man who built his life on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods and torrents came and the winds blew and slammed against that house or life. Yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish, stupid man who built his house or life on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods and the torrents came and the winds blew and slammed against that life house and it fell and great and complete was its fall when Jesus had finished speaking these words on the mountain the crowds were astonished and overwhelmed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority to teach entirely of his own volition and not as their scribes who relied on others to confirm their authority 
And lastly, out of the message, it says this. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. I hope that through this series, you've been reminded of just how much you are loved by the Most High God. I trust that you've gleaned some practical things to help you along your journey. And I earnestly pray that you realize how powerful the words that come out of your mouth genuinely are and that you must watch your mouth. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.